Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. This time of year, this is often a time where we look back at the year or the years that have gone by, and we think about the um, you know, things we didn't accomplish, the New Year's resolutions we might have missed, you know, the goals we didn't achieve, and and this is a time where we also look forward in hoping to uh, make new goals, make new resolutions, do all of these things to prepare for the coming year. In fact, this time of the month, everybody makes these things called New Year's resolutions. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you have made a New Year's resolution? That's right. Some of you are a little... T- My hand's raised. I made one. Just raise it. Be proud. Don't be scared. All right. How many of you are just done making New Year's resolutions? Yeah. See, okay. Wow. That did not take any... Wow. Oh, you all, I don't even know what to do. All right, so here's my New Year's resolution. You ready? Some of you are like, what a joke. But okay, here's my New Year's resolution, right? My New Year's resolution is to get as fat as I possibly can. Some of you are not even laughing. You're like, this pastor, this is so unbecoming. Like, that should not be what you do. No, listen, this is what I'm going to do. It's reverse psychology. See, because I break New Year's resolutions all the time. So what I'm thinking is if I get as fat as I possibly can, guess what? I'll get really thin because I'll just break the New Year's resolution. So if you're looking for one, I highly recommend it. I think it's going to be fantastic. We'll see how this goes for me in my reverse psychology. But but the reality is this time of year, we, we make all kinds of resolutions. Like I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to save more, you know, uh, spend less. I'm going to go and learn a new hobby, get organized. I'm going to fall in love. I'm going to spend more time with the family and, and so on and so forth. We make all of these New Year's resolutions. But I read a study that said that 41% of people in America who make New Year's resolutions, only 9% of them keep them. That's a lot of people who fail in keeping their New Year's resolutions. Now, now one thing that I've learned over uh, this, this time of year and, and really kind of any time of the year, anytime somebody finds out that I'm a pastor or they see me, they go, well, you know, I just got to get back to church. I'm really trying to get back to church. I need to go to church, right? Like, I think at this time of the year, a lot of us might make that resolution. I got to get into church more. I got to spend more time in church. I'm going to be more. I'm going to resolve myself to be at church more. In fact, Jen, my wife, she's an ICU nurse, and she works at Tenova, and uh, there was this lady, she got really sick, and she saw my wife, and she was like, well, how bad was it? And my wife's like, well, it wasn't great, you know? And she's like, well, I'm glad I pulled through. You know, the Lord was telling me I need to get to church more, and so I guess this is my big awakening. I need to get to church. I need to go to church, and I think we all have that. We go, I got to go to church. I need to be in church more. And so we make these resolutions. But the problem with resolutions are, like we talked about, we don't keep them, right? We break them. What we need is not a resolution to church. What we need is a commitment to the church. After all, this is Jesus' invention. This is his thing. Next to the Holy Spirit, this is the thing that Jesus left for us. And because the church is his thing, it's something that he loves, he cares about, it's something that he died for, and we should love and care about it too and be committed to it. We shouldn't treat church like something that's casual, like we kind of check it off the list and so we feel religious and we feel good about ourselves and so we kind of move on the rest of the week. We, don't, we shouldn't just treat church like, well, when I have time for it, then I will go. We need to love and care for the church just like Jesus loves and cares for the church as well. But the reality is, church has been on a decline for many years now. 
And that, that wasn't always the case. I think for many years and many decades here in the U.S., Church was just a baseline expectation that people went to. You probably remember going to church with your grandparents, going to church with your parents. It was just something that you did. In fact, I, I watched a documentary on World War I. I know, thrilling times that I do, but that I live in, but that's what I did. Uh, so I watched a documentary on it, and they were talking about how they trained all these soldiers. And on Sunday, it didn't matter what religion you were, you went to the church. On a Sunday, no excuses, everybody was there. Church was just something that you did. But like I said, over the years, it's become less of a thing. And, and we can't just blame it on COVID. Be like, well, that's COVID's fault, you know? Now, COVID's not helping anything, but this has been the case long before COVID ever hit the scene. I think some of the reasons why we're seeing a decline in church is because we just don't have time for it. This is one I think COVID is to blame for. Like when we all went in quarantine, we all kind of have our own schedules or doing our own things. You know, we kind of have gotten out of certain rhythms and we haven't gotten back into those rhythms again. I've also heard for years, I've been in church my whole life. One thing I've often heard is people go, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I mean, salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone, but you also don't have to go home to be married but you stay away long enough and it'll affect your relationship. And so uh, people will have that excuse all the time. People are, I hear people talk about, well, you know, uh, it's the bickering with all these Christians. They're always arguing. They're always fighting about something. All they do is talk about money. The pastor's trying to control everybody. The church only talks about what's going on in the world. Or maybe it's the opposite. The church doesn't talk enough about what's going on in our world. But even on a more serious note, we have podcasts, we have books, we have news articles written about a pastor who has fallen in some way. Church abuse or corruption at the hand of the church leaders. And with all of these failures on the part of the church, no wonder why we see people walking away from the church. Over the last few generations, our culture has shifted and changed, and we're actually seeing statistic after statistic that shows this ever-growing tension between the church and the people, and the relationship that they have. This week, I found an article that said, one-third of practicing Christians, people who say, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, Jesus is Lord of my life, one-third of them say, I'm taking a break from the church. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about this, but you can't uh, say, well, I want Jesus, but don't give me the church. No, they are married, they are together. So you can't divorce the two. But there's a third of them going, well, I don't need anything to do with church anymore. I also found interesting statistics about Christians who have doubts or questions about their faith. 22% of them feel comfortable bringing it to the church leaders. This statistic is very sobering. 77% of people said that they either find the pastors of the church somewhat or very untrustworthy. It means only 30% of you find me trustworthy right now. That's a shocking statistic. I, I've, been, I've been praying that that would never be true of a, here at Awaken, that you could bring your doubts, you could bring your questions, that you can find the leadership here very trustworthy. I was praying long and hard about that this week. So it's not hard to imagine when we see news stories and statistics like the one we're seeing, that we're seeing the behavior that we're seeing. And I think there's so many people asking the questions, is church worth the effort? Now, just a disclaimer here right off from the start, I am a pastor, and so my very job title tells you where I fall on this topic. 
But part of the reason why I'm even in this work is because even in the face of all the things that we just talked about, all the statistics, all the church messiness, all the church hurt, in the face of all of that, I still believe in the vision for the church, God's vision for the church. But the reality is, I still struggle with a lot of the same things you probably struggle with. I struggle with a lot of the things that we just talked about. And so what we hope to do in this series is we hope to create a space where we can all wrestle with some of the questions, maybe some of the doubts, some of the feelings that we have about church. And, and really the goal of the series is to, to look at it and say, how are we supposed to be the church? What are we supposed to look like in our city for this time? And so today we're kicking off the new year with a series called Who We Are. Who We Are. And in this series, we're going to be talking about what is the church? Who makes up the church? Who's the head of the church? What's the mission of the church? It's going to be about a six-week-long series. And and just so you know, spoiler, we're going to then go into the verse-by-verse study through the book of James. So I'm excited about this year, excited about what God's going to do. But today, we are going to work on the title of today's message is, What is the Church? And that's what we're going to be talking about. What is the church? We're going to be talking about God's intention and hope for the church. Now, Let me tell you, over the last several weeks, I've been spending a lot of time studying about it. And there's history as old as the universe when it comes to like the history of the church and all that. And some of you are like, this sounds like this is going to be a three hour long sermon here. Like, how are we going to get out in the next 26 minutes here? Trust me, we'll get out. It'll be okay. Because my goal is actually very simple. My goal today is just to give us a baseline understanding of what the church is meant to be. We're going to look at God's word We're going to look specifically at the early church. We're going to see how they operated and see some similarities, some things that we can do here in our time right now. And so there's three characteristics about the church, three things that define the church. And the first one is this. The church is a people, not a place. The church is a people, not a place. So before we jump into Acts chapter 2, a little context Uh, Jesus has uh, risen from the dead. He's now ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit has now come in and filled the hearts of people. And then here we go in Acts 2.42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, before we in our Western minds know what church, what we think and know church to be, the way the people of God interacted with God was to meet with God in a particular location. So what you see in the Old Testament is that people gathered to the temple to to meet with God, to worship God. But what we're seeing here in Acts 2 is that all of this seems to change. What we're reading in Acts 2.46 is that people not only met at the temple courts and the outside temple courts, but they also met in their homes. And you might be thinking, well, why is that? Why are they doing that? Why is that the case? Well, it's because they themselves are now the temple of God. 
Again, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, and and we're going to talk about this here in just a second, but the Holy Spirit comes in and moves inside the people, and now they themselves are the temple of God. Paul even talks about us being the temple of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. What's even cool is that Jesus isn't inviting people to a location, but to a community to belong to. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. See, what Jesus is actually doing is he's inviting people to come and join the people of God, following him together. What we're ultimately seeing in all of this is that church is not about a place, but it's about people. God no longer fills a particular place. He fills particular people. We are the temple of God. We are now the church. Wherever the people of God gather, God is there. We can meet in a room like this, and God is there. I was thinking about the early stages of the church. We met in parks. God was there. I think about church plants that meet in schools or in movie theaters. God is there. I think about here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Awaken Groups launch, and there's going to be believers gathering all throughout the city and all these different homes scattered throughout this entire city, and wherever they meet, God is there. Wherever the people of God meet, God is there because we are the church. So church at its most fundamental level is the people of God coming together. So the essence of the church actually predates the institution of the church. All throughout the Bible, we see story after story of God gathering his people to come together. We see it in the Old Testament, primarily through the nation of Israel, his chosen people. He would gather them together. We saw it in the New Testament with Jesus calling out Andrew and calling out um, Peter, and he's calling out John later. We see this gathering together in Paul Paul in the New Testament, even writing to encourage uh, the early church. He encouraged him with these words in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So since the very beginning of all of this, it's been foundational and fundamental for the people of God to gather together, to be in one another's presence and to be in the presence of God of God. But here's the problem. Many of us have just minimized church to nothing more than a Sunday event to come to. And while I'm so glad that a lot of you are here today, I'm glad that a lot of you have maybe made that resolution. I'm going to come to church more. I'm going to continue this habit and cultivate this. I'm going to make time for church. Well, I'm so glad that you've carved out time to worship with us today. I want to let you know this, that the church was never meant to be thought of as an isolated weekend ceremony disconnected from the whole rest of life. That's not what it's supposed to be. It was the center of the believer's life. That's what we're reading here in Acts 2.42. They met daily. They met day by day. It wasn't like they lived how they wanted on a Sunday and did whatever else they wanted the rest of the week. I think some of us are just guilty of that. I know I've been guilty of that before. 
We live how we want Sunday, and we do. We put on the facade and do all those things. And then Monday through Saturday, we live like we want, but then we come back in on a Sunday and we just check it off. And we're treating church like it's just some event disconnected. It is supposed to be a part of everything you do, something that is very much ingrained in you. These were believers in Christ, doing life together, sharing with one another, and caring for one another. What's kind of cool is it does, what you're seeing here is it doesn't um, come with like fancy accommodations or formal clothing. You don't really read of any ritualistic formalities. These were just common people acting in a very common way, being changed by Jesus. And they were being real with one another. So God's vision for the church is so much bigger and so much greater than just gathering once a week. But this week I would say, well, what should separate us from other people who gather? Like, I know that we've got people who gather once a week for board game night, you know? They gather once a week. I accidentally went too far on Disney Plus the other day and was about to start a watch party for Aladdin, and I didn't mean to do that, you know? But, like, we have watch parties for movies. Like, we gather around. We got to watch the season premiere of this show, or we got to gather around to watch this movie, you know? We got to have this experience. We gather once a week for all kinds of different things. So what should set us apart from gathering once a week from everything that the world does? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, And that's our second thought for today. The fuel for the church is the Holy Spirit. The fuel for the church is the Holy Spirit. Maybe you might have to flip back one page, but going to the beginning of Acts chapter 2. I said we'd get to the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This portion of scripture that we're reading is describing the uh, sending of the Holy Spirit to fill the hearts of believers and to live within them. You see, before this moment in history, we see instances of the Holy Spirit coming over people to accomplish a particular God-sized task. It seems like the Holy Spirit stayed around as long as it took to accomplish that task or as long as that person remained faithful. And so in the Old Testament, we see examples of the Spirit coming upon Samson, coming upon King Saul, coming upon David. Well, what's interesting is that in 1 Samuel, it says that the Spirit left Saul when he had become disobedient. Maybe David knew something about that, because in Psalm 51, his prayer of repentance, after he had realized that he had committed adultery, he had committed murder, and in his repentance, he says, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We see in the New Testament with the life of Mary, the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and Jesus is born and conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so this coming and going of the Spirit is something that we see, but it all seems to disappear here in Acts chapter 2. We could say it this way, that before Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came by for a visit, but after Acts 2, the Spirit moved in to stay. And so what this means is that when a person puts their faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of them and doesn't ever leave. In fact, I like what Romans 8 9 says. It says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. 
And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So for a person to ever be a Christian, for a person to ever belong to the people of God, that means they must possess the Spirit of God within them. We could say it this way, that in the person of Jesus, while he was on earth, we had God with us physically for a short time. But in the church, we have God with us spiritually all the time. See, the Holy Spirit is constantly working in the lives of believers, changing them to be more like Christ. So what this means is that the church should never be ineffective because the Holy Spirit is constantly working in the lives of believers. Jesus even said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if it can't be stopped by any force, physical or spiritual, why does it seem like in America that isn't the case? Why does it seem like there are some churches that are ineffective? Without going too much into all of it, I think it's simply put that they've quenched the Holy Spirit. The fuel that's supposed to drive them isn't there anymore. They've gotten away from what the church was intended to be. But when the people of God are filled with the Holy Spirit, we see the church at its best. And so going forward to chapter 4 of Acts, you might have to flip over a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 32 it says, now the full, full numbers of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed each as any had need. Here's the third and final characteristic of the church, and that is that the church requires responsibility. The church requires responsibility. What we're reading here in Acts is the church operating at its best. Now, don't get me wrong. The early church didn't get it right every single time. Sometimes I think we can easily look at the early church and go, oh, it's like rose-colored glasses, right? Like, oh, they had it right. They were getting it right. All No, they made a lot of mistakes too. They didn't get it right every single time. So it'd be wrong for us to be like, oh, they are, they're perfect. No, they're not perfect. They're still people. But this is the church. What we're reading here is the church at its best. We're seeing believers united in both heart and mind, sharing and meeting the needs. And when the church is like that, being who is intended to be, God will work powerfully through the lives of us and make a difference in people's lives. See, ultimately what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 is people in community. We were created to be in community, connection with one another. We were, con we were created to live in relationship. Again, all you need to do is this isn't a New Testament principle. This is something found in the Old Testament. All you need to do is go back to Genesis chapter 2. God says, it is not good that man or humans, people, should be alone. In fact, the Hebrew reading of that says it is not not good. So he's very emphatic about the fact that it is really not good. Like we are created in the image of our maker and he is a community and we are created to be that reflection. 
We're a community of people as well. We need to be with one another. Again, all throughout the Bible, what you're going to read is story after story of God constantly calling his people out of separation and into connection, calling people out of isolation and into community. Even Paul, when he was writing to the churches that he would write to, he would often start his letters, end his letters, in the middle of his letters, say, dear brothers and sisters. Paul was describing this close, deep, personal, familial connection that existed in the people of God. Listen, life with God was never meant to be a solo endeavor. Even though some people are like, well, I don't need to go to church. Now you do. It's not meant to be solo. But the reality is in our individualistic culture, it can be very easy for us to miss this common nature that is foundational to the church. It can be really easy for you and I to miss the fact that we belong to one another. Think about that for just a second. We belong to one another. Over the last couple of years, we've had people PCS or move because of their jobs. And it hurts. It doesn't get any better. And the reason why is because they're a family. We are a family. We belong to one another. But not only do we see the people of Acts coming together, being in relationship, treating each other like a family, but we also see them contributing. See, the church is not meant just to be a place for you to come and receive. It's also a place where you come and you bring and you offer whatever it is that you have. And it shouldn't surprise you, but just like the first one where they're connecting, this idea of of contributing also goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God says, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, what this verse is ultimately getting at is after God created the entire universe, he invites human beings to contribute to the work of caring for what he has created. And then what he does is he invites us to continue on that work when he gives the command, be fruitful and multiply. See, the partnership with God, this idea of working with God has been a defining theme of God's people all throughout the Bible. I think Paul knew something about this because he would often describe the church in a metaphor like the body. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. We might actually talk about it next week when we talk about the head. That's what we're going to do next week when we talk about the head of the church. Paul uses this idea of the body. And he's like, hey, just like your body needs every part to be optimal, to function well, to be healthy, guess what? The church also is a body. And it needs every member to to function the way that they should function, for it to be healthy, for it to be optimal, for it to work the way that it needs to work. Ultimately, here's what he's getting at. We all have a part to play. We all have something to contribute so that we can be stronger and better and more effective at doing the work of God in this world. So there's two ways that this looks like here at Awaken. One is through Sunday. Sunday where you serve and you give and, and you get prayed over, you hang out with one another, you see how the week is, maybe you touch base to grab lunch later on in the week. It's not just coming, sitting, and leaving, going, the worship was great, the message was great, I'm out of here, not connecting with anyone. It's about being a part of the family. Now, if you're serving and giving on Sunday, that's great, that's awesome, but you're missing out on a whole other aspect of what God wants to do in your life kind of going back to the body metaphor. If you just use your hands on a Sunday, then the rest of the week, you're not super effective, right? 
You're not going to be healthy. You're not going to be strong. For the body to be effective, you need to engage just like the church did all throughout the week. Ultimately, Sunday is a rally point for us. I don't know about you, but sometimes that world can beat me up, tear me apart. But when I come together and I worship with the people of God, gathering with one another in the presence of God, it makes me feel a lot better. It makes me realize that there is a hope beyond what is happening in my day-to-day life. And so that is important for us to gather together. It's a rally point. But then all throughout the week, we are to gather to meet with with one another. If you want and you desire, and we all want the relationships and the effectiveness of the church that we're seeing in Acts, we have to engage throughout the week. And that's the second way. We engage through groups and we engage through outreach. Here in a couple weeks, we're going to have groups sign up again. This is a chance for you to maybe say no to some good things so you could say yes to a better thing. For you to live out the principles that we're reading here, gathering with one another. Our outreach. We have the Kids Bible Club that meets here on Thursday nights. It's a time like like what we're seeing. The early church, what they did was they were able to help those who were in need. Uh, We're partnering with the foster kids system. Last Christmas, this last Christmas, a couple weeks ago, we had over 100 backpacks that we gave to those kids. And that's awesome. That's something worth celebrating and being excited about. But the reality is we could do that all the time, all throughout the year, not just one time of the year. Helping others in need. But it all starts with deciding to contribute to the work of transformation that's happening here. Now, after I say all of that, I want to be very, very clear because this can get a little messy sometimes. This is not about you working for or giving to the church. I want to be very clear on that. This is much bigger. This is God's invitation for all of us to contribute to the powerful, transformative work that he is doing in the world through his church. It's a very important distinction to make because there are a lot of churches, intentionally or unintentionally, that kind of blur those lines. See, listen, I'm not up here asking you to give and serve to Awaken because we got to get the brand of Awaken Church out there. We got to really raise that brand. We got to let the city know about Awaken Church. They really got to know. Listen, I could care less if they know about Awaken Church. If they know about Jesus, that's the most important thing. Jesus is the one who lived and died, not Awaken Church. Jesus did. And so I want this city to know about who Jesus is. So this isn't about building the brands. This isn't about building our kingdom or my kingdom or anybody's kingdom. This is about building the kingdom of God here on earth, being what Jesus has called us to be, which is the hands and feet of him. And so I'm simply just saying, will you join us in partnering with what God is doing, the good work that God is doing through his church? And so what I really hope that you're going to see throughout this series and what I hope that you see today, just how big, how deep, how wide God's vision and desire for the church is. The church is not a place, it's a people. The church should be fueled by the Holy Spirit. And the church requires responsibility. Now, when I think about all of those things and everything we talked about, that's what the church has been for me in my life. Now, I will say, the church hasn't been that, or has not been that for me without complication. The church hasn't been that for me without disappointment. My story, probably like yours, is that I've been hurt by the church before. The 
church is a little messy. Messy people. I'm a messy person. We've all been hurt by the church before. The church doesn't get it right every single time. The church maybe doesn't live up to the standard that you would expect every single time. But the reality is when the church is at its best, that's when God uses the church to meet people in their deepest need. And if we're going to meet people and go after this calling together, to be the church that God wants us to believe. I believe it takes normal, everyday, messy, messed up people like you and me saying yes. And today I wonder what your yes might be. What is your next step? So that you and the people in your life can experience more of God. Maybe for you, your yes needs to be that you just need to belong to people. For a while now, you might have just felt this tug that you need to connect, you need to contribute. Maybe your story is like mine. Many times before in church, I've been able to come in and fill a seat and then leave, maybe say hi to the greeters, maybe say hi to the people taking care of the kids, but then I'm just out. I'm pretty anonymous. The reality is we want more for you than that. And more importantly, God wants more for you than that. He wants you to experience life-giving relationships. Again, it's going to get messy. We're not perfect. We're imperfect people serving a perfect God. We're not going to get it right all the time. We may not say hi to you when you say hi. Like There might be some things that we mess up along the way. But even in all the messiness, I still believe that this is one of the best places to find connection. And so if that's where you're at, maybe today what you need to do is say, I'm going to take a step and I'm going to say yes to belonging to people. But maybe for you, you're here today and your yes isn't that you need to belong to people, that you need to do all these things because the reality is you haven't said yes to the most important thing, which is a relationship with Jesus. You're not living out Romans 8 that says you're being controlled by the Spirit of God. And so maybe for you today, your yes is just simply, God, I repent of my sins. I confess these sins. I'm sorry for these things that I've done. I turn from these sins and I turn towards you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And allow the Holy Spirit to fill you just like he filled those in Acts chapter 2. And if that's you, here in a few moments, just pray that prayer. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. So maybe that's the yes you need to say. What is your yes? Talk to God about it this week. He'll tell you what your yes is. He'll speak to you. He'll reveal it to you. So what is your yes? Every time I've said yes to God in big ways and small ways, I've never regretted it. It's always come with growth and just a spiritual blessing with it. So this series is not an advertisement for church. It's actually bigger and more important than that. This is about God's design and desire for how he wants to transform the world for good. Because God wants to bring hope to this world. He wants to bring peace. He wants to bring justice. He wants to bring reconciliation that our world so desperately, desperately needs. God wants to make all things new, and he wants to do it through people. And God is committed to doing it through people like you and me who are willing to say yes when he invites us. So he's inviting us. Will you say yes? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.